um, truths break through from the Bible in a new way. It just struck me that the whole kingdom of God um, was brought in through Jesus and his disciples and they were all in benefit, you know. Um, they, they didn't have anything. They were supported by other people. They were the, the beneficiaries of the, of the giving of other people. And uh, one of them was Mary Magdalene. And um, actually all that we know about Mary Magdalene is that she was uh, wealthy and uh, that she supported um, uh, Jesus and also that she had seven demons cast out of her. Uh, the Bible doesn't actually say anywhere she was a prostitute, you know, but somehow we've um, built that up around her. It's very interesting because if she was, that means Jesus and his disciples were being supported from earnings by prostitution. <laughs> so that's a difficult one for those of you who don't feel we should accept money from the lottery fund, <laughs> you know. And uh, anyway, I'll just throw that in in passing and you can, <laughs> you can think about that. Um, William Booth was once uh, offered some money by a, a pub owner and some self-righteous Christians were horrified that he would accept it. He said, of course I'll accept it. And he said, no, wash it clean in the tears of widows and orphans. You know? That's nothing what I want to do, talk about anyway either, but just think about that. We can get so religious. We can get so pious. There's virtually nothing in this world that's clean. And uh, yet we have to live in this world and deal with it. But you know, I was thinking about Mary Magdalene and uh, just uh, what seems to me a huge understatement. In Scotland, we, we're, we, we can be very understated in the way that we react or in the way that we speak. That's more so the further north that you go. And uh, I used to be a minister in the, the first group of islands to the north of Scotland called Orkney. And uh, I'm from the city originally, but this was um, up in Orkney as my, my first charge. And it was such an interesting experience just waiting to go in to do the Sunday morning service and listening to folk arriving at the door. And there was no conversation. I mean, all you heard was, aye, and aye. And at the most you heard, fine day. Oh, it is that, it's a fine day. And, and then they would troop. And uh, th this went right down to childhood. There was one lovely wee boy and he had a pet lamb called Jess. And Jess died. And this is how his father, uh, in a very feeling way, broke the news to him. Jess is dead. Are you a bit disappointed? <laughs> and the wee boy said, I'm more than a bit disappointed. So he was beginning to escape from this terrible reductionist way of thinking and expressing ourselves. You know, when I look at Mary Magdalene, sometimes I think, oh, a bit of an understatement there. I'm thinking of the day when she met Jesus and uh, he'd been raised from the dead. Remember, she did seven demons cast out her. You know, so sometimes when you're involved in deliverance and it becomes a bit that the, de the demonic forces are reacting, you've got to remember that that person actually had that struggle going on within them. You know, it's, an, it's a terrible thing to have, have that internal battle and struggle going on. Um, I was speaking at a conference for Open Doors lately, and uh, just during the prayer time after the preaching, somebody was just delivered there and then, you know, in the, the middle of the meeting, and it was a struggle. And I thought to myself afterwards, the fact is that struggle's been going on within her for an indeterminate length of time. What, what must it have been like to have seven demons inside you? That the turmoil of that, the distress of that, and Jesus came and delivered her. 
the interesting thing to me, if, if I'd been Mary Magdalene and uh, this was resurrection morning and I turned around and saw Jesus, I, I think I would have shouted out, my deliverer. But she doesn't do that. Do you remember what she says? She says, teacher. That seems such an understatement to me. You know, surely she would shout out a word like saviour or redeemer or deliverer or rescuer or something like that. But she actually turns and says, teacher. And I think there's a, there's a great lesson to learn from that. And, and it's simply this, that even the most amazing spiritual experience in the world, I, I think it's got a shelf life of about two years in terms of effectiveness. If there's not a process that comes along with the event, as it were, and I think what meant, why, why Mary shouted out teacher was that Jesus had not only set her free in a moment of deliverance, but he taught her how to live in this freedom. And that was what was precious to her. It wasn't just a passing experience. It was a new way of living that he'd actually taught her to live in uh, day by day, not just to experience in a, in a great high spiritual moment. And I think that's really insightful, and I think that's um, extremely important. I was reading of a, a wee boy that was greatly distressed. He was in church, and um, there was a film being shown, one of these very graphic ones, about the, the early Christians and their persecution. And there was a scene where the Christians were being fed to the lions. And it was, it was only about four, this wee boy, and his dad looked and saw him crying. And he said, oh, why is it you're crying? It's funny the things that upset people. He said, I'm really upset because the wee baby lion isn't getting any food. <laughs> you know, it's just it's strange the things that upset people. But, you know, if, if you were to ask Paul what upsets you, you know, as you look around the Christian life, I think he would have said it's people who begin with Jesus and then they go off track. There's a couple of times where that comes across very clearly. One's the letter to the Galatians and the other's the letter to the Corinthians uh, where, where Paul just expresses his heart. You know, I, I long to present you to Christ mature. You know, but, but I look and I see that you began well, but things have cut in on you. And, and wherever this persuasion came from, it's not, it's not from God. And that really distressed him to see that people, you know, they begin with a bang, as it were, but then they fizzle out. And uh, that distresses me. That distresses me. You know, sometimes in, in Wester Hills, it can be two steps forward, one step back, and three steps forward, you know, two steps back. And sometimes it can be that people come into something and they have a real experience and then they just disappear altogether. It can be quite funny at times. There was a, a lady who was in the, the shopping centre and she'd come to faith. And a man came up to her and said, <clears throat> here's 20 pounds, would you go and buy me some drugs? And she used to be in drugs so she knew where to get them. So she set off to buy this uh, stranger some drugs. And then she thought, wait a minute, I can't, I can't do that now, now that I'm beginning to follow Jesus. And then it's quite funny, our next thought was, oh, I'll just keep the money. And she put, put, it, put it in her pocket. And then she, she thought to herself, I can't do that either. So, so she went and found him and gave him back the money. And um, that night, it meant she was short of money. And our neighbor's a, a, a working prostitute, and her neighbor says, well, why don't you come out with, with me tonight? This lady used to be a prostitute when she was 15. 
So she got dressed up, ready to go out in the streets, and she, she caught sight of herself in the mirror, and her words were, my God, you look like a ripe tart. And she thought to herself, wait a minute, I can't do this either, because people in church are telling me I'm worth more than this. So it's one step forward, two steps back. You know, you can find folk like that in church worshipping the Lord one minute and then out in the streets the next, literally fighting with one another. There's two of them on their way to the Alpha course and some people shouted abuse at them, two ladies shouted abuse at these two ladies going to the Alpha course. And one said, oh, just ignore them and we'll go to Alpha. And the other one said, no, let's get into them and then we'll go to Alpha. <laughs> so, so that's what it can be like there. But what's most distressing, actually we can cope with that, that's normal for us. But uh, what's most distressing is when people make a start and then they're just nowhere. And it seems they've had a real experience of God. And then they're nowhere to be seen. And that distressed Paul. And I, I think for me, you know, we've, we've talked earlier about this, um, the, the, the whole beginning in our spirit of our belovedness and just realizing that we're a, a delight to God. And uh, sometimes we can even come to a faith in that and a belief in that. But, but then the certainty of that goes. I mean, back in 1994, I, I felt God really did deal with, with, with very real doubts about the love the Father had for me. And I saw others that I felt he'd, he'd dealt with in the same way. And yet, now I see them struggling. There was an event, but there was no process. And now they're just as much in a place of doubting the love that God has for them. So somehow there needs to be a process that, that this truth that God wants to reveal in our spirit actually doesn't get robbed, it doesn't get taken away, uh, and no other persuasion comes in to stop us running well. And I, and I think that's where, as we talk about extending circles of renewal, that the revelation of God's love is actually something that happens in the deep place of our spirit. But what can happen is that our minds don't catch up with that. And uh, I suppose now I want to talk about just the renewing of our mind, uh, the renewing of our soul. The Bible says we're spirit, soul, and body. And the soul is that part of us that is to do with our mind and our emotions and our will. And uh, that needs to be renewed in order for this precious treasure that I am the beloved of God to actually remain as a felt truth in which I live. And we could talk about many, uh, many things in relation to this, but I, but I want to think with you about the power of words, um, words that we believe, words that we say, words that we hear. Um, it seems to me more and more as I deal with people in Wester Hills um, that words can be the source of the problem and uh, words can often be the source of the, the healing as well. Um, after I got home from Open Doors, um, it just gave me a renewed interest in the persecuted church. And I had that when I was a, a younger believer and so did my wife, but then I guess it's just, you know, other priorities come in and I'd lost that as any sort of uh, focus, but it made me really want to, to find out about the persecuted church again. 
And uh, I went on YouTube. YouTube can be a great resource, you know. And um, I typed in Richard Vermbrandt. And uh, Richard Vermbrandt had um, been put in prison by the communists in Romania. And he'd been in prison for about 14 years, if I remember right. Most of them in solitary confinement. And there are several um, clips of him. They're not very good quality clips, but, but it's worth persevering. And uh, in one of them, he was speaking about a time when his torturer brought him in and uh, sat him down behind a desk and said to him, Mr. Vermbrandt, um, I, I'm not going to interrogate you. And first of all, that was a shock, Mr. Vermbrandt. He said, I'd not been called Mr. for years. He said, I'm not going to interrogate you, you can relax. And he took out a Bible and he opened it up and he put it in front of Richard Vermbrandt and said, Mr. Vermbrandt, do, do you believe that this is the word of God? And uh, Richard Vermbrandt um, said, it, you know, it was quite an awkward moment because actually he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew. And he said in the Jewish language, in Hebrew, and it's the same in modern Hebrew as well as biblical Hebrew, there is no word for word. And it's true. In the Hebrew language of the Bible, there's no word for word. So in any other language of the, 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 the world, you can, you can pick up a Bible and you can say, this is the word of the Lord. In Hebrew, there is no distinct word for word. The word for word in Hebrew is devar, and it means a thing. It means a real thing. In other words, what Richard Vermbrandt was saying, that, that, that words can either just be noises that fill the air, or they can be real things carrying real presence and real power and real purpose. So he, he, he sort of knew what the man was saying. He said, yes, I believe, you know, the Bible is the word of God. And the man went on, well, you know, um, it says here in the opening pages of your Bible that God made you in his image. Do you believe that? And Richard Vermbrandt said, yes, I've already told you. I believe that every word of this is the word of God. And then he handed him a mirror and he made him look at his own face. They'd knocked out all his teeth. In the course of his years in confinement, they broke almost every bone in his body. He looked at his emaciated face and this torturer said to him, Mr. Vermbrandt, do you not agree that is a very ugly face? And Richard Vermbrandt said, in all my years, I've never seen anything so monstrously ugly. And then he said, Mr. Vermbrandt, you've told me you believe that every word of this book is the word of God. Your God must be very ugly if you're made in his image. How can you love him? How can you worship him? And Richard Vermbrandt said, in our language, the Hebrew language, it does not say uh, you know, that the face of God would shine upon you. It says, let the faces of God shine upon you. He said, my God has many faces. He said, sometimes the face of my God is very serene. He's the maker of all things. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He knows he holds all things in his hands. This is one of the faces of my God. And then he said, but this God became flesh for me. And this God was marred so that his face was barely recognizable as human. He said, this too is the face of my God. The God who loves me and who cares about me. And who came into my suffering. 
And then he said, but that was not the final face of my God because my God rose again. And he rose with such beauty and such light that the guards had to flee and fall flat on their faces. And then Richard Van Brandt said, I don't know what effect my words had, but I was asked no more questions. And I wasn't tortured that day. But it's the first thing of what he said, the first part of that conversation that interests me for today, that uh, words are real things. You know, they're not just noises that fill the air, they're real things. Let's just uh, turn to a couple of passages that makes that point. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Okay, and we'll read from verse 8, Isaiah 55 from verse 8. don't really need to preach in this, just read it and, and receive it and listen to what's being said, Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay in the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And then as a fulfillment of that, he says at a time when the Israelites were facing exile, you will live in joy and peace. In other words, I've said it will be and it will be because my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish all that I want it to. So the word of God is uh, very, very powerful. Um, It is a real thing and it causes real things to happen. Uh, Negatively, um, I think we need to realize as well that there's power in words. I'm going to say in the next thought that because we are made in the image of talk, rather, because we are made in the image of God, our words carry power as well. Uh, and we need to be really careful that we're not just banding words around. We, we need to be really careful that the sorts of words that we allow to take up residence in our minds are words that are going to protect this precious truth that I'm loved. I really am loved by God. So words are are powerful. They're powerful in their positive effect, uh, but they're also powerful in their their negative effect. I I suppose I I, I see this from time to time in in ministry. I told you about the effect of just a word that comes from God. You are the gift of life, of God to life. That brought delivering power. It brought power from God um, into this lady's life. And I saw that at open doors after this lady was delivered. Uh, Morag and I went to, to pray for her because it's not good to leave somebody empty. Otherwise, you know, it can become a sevenfold worse state. And so we, we prayed for her and we just asked God, Lord, is there something that you want to say? And I, it, it's good, you know, even when you don't know what something means, if God gives you something, you, you, you share it with the person. You, you don't have to interpret it. You, you just have to say, this is what I'm seeing. Does that mean anything to you? So I simply saw roller skates and I said, all I can see is roller skates. And, and, and 
quicker than half a second, her, her, her hand just went <gasps> like that. And, and her eyes became alive. And the whole story came out. She said, you know, my, my upbringing was really difficult. And she said, uh, one thing that I always wanted but never had was a pair of roller skates. That's what I always wanted them. She said, but I had a friend who'd roller skates. And she was my only friend. And she would give me one and she would take the other and we'd join arms and we'd go skating together. <laughs> and then she said, you know, but we've lost contact. And ever since I've thought, did she really like me? Did she really love me? Our friendship was precious, but was it real? Or did I just imagine it? She said, two days ago, she made contact with me again. And we're talking about our roller skating days. And she said to me, I genuinely loved you and love you still. Words have power. It's true of scriptural words, but it's also true. You remember that phrase in Ephesians 6 about taking up the sword of the spirit? The actual words there are take up the sword of the spirit, which is the words, plural, that God gives. It is not just scripture. It's these thoughts that come into mind when you're speaking to someone. It's that urge to say something good and positive and strengthening. It's that picture that comes to mind when you're praying. Words that come from God have real effect. They do not return to him void. But they accomplish that for which they're sent. Now there has to be a meeting of the word with faith. Do you remember that um, uh, uh, the, the, the Israelites were promised rest, remember, under Joshua? You can read about this in the early chapters of Hebrews. But they never entered into the rest because they didn't receive the promise with faith. Even Jesus was limited in what he could do by the presence or lack of the presence of faith. But when God's living word that doesn't return to him void is met with living act of faith, then real power and real result come from these words. Now sadly it can happen negatively as well. I was away speaking at a gathering of youth workers in um, Aviemore, and it was a beautiful part of the, the sort of highlands and beautiful scenery and so on. And it was in, a, it was in January, and January in Wester Hills can be a difficult time. It can be suicide season because Christmas and New Year are not easy times for a lot of people. And there'd been two really unfortunate deaths. And um, I, I was feeling really tired going up to speak at this conference. But unusually, I mean, I'm looked after very well here. It doesn't always happen in Scotland. But I, 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 this particular time I was, and they put me up in a beautiful hotel. And um, I, I walked into this amazingly beautiful room with the biggest bed I'd ever seen in my life. And it was just me. It was just there, moan. And then I opened the bathroom door. It was the biggest bath I'd ever seen in my life. And, and I had all this molten brown stuff that had been given for, for Christmas. And, and I arrived with about six hours to spare. And I thought, well, what will I do? I thought, I'll just have a, I'll have a deep hot bath and then I'll lie in my bed and I'll, I'll watch the telly for a few hours. So I had this wonderful bath and lay down in the bed and clicked the telly and it didn't come on, it was broken. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go for a sleep. So I fell asleep and I woke up and I still had three hours to go. And I thought, um, well, what will I do? So I had another bath and then... <laughs> And then I just, 
I lay down in the bed again. I actually thought that was it, but Morag assures me that actually an hour or two after that, um, I sent her a text saying I'm now in my third bath. So, <laughs> so, so it looks as though I did have a third bath. And then I, I lay down again to sleep. And as I was waking up, as clear as, a, I, this rarely happens to me. You might, I don't want to give the wrong impression. This very rarely happens to me. Um, I heard, I heard the Lord's voice saying, here's Lucy. And I thought, what's that about? This was not a charismatic conference. And it reminded me of, you know, in the 60s, I was born in the 50s, and in the 60s, the Lucille Ball show was on, on the telly. And when she appeared on, you know, on screen or on stage, you know, somebody said, here's Lucy. And, and everybody just cheered and rejoiced as she walked through a door onto the stage. And I felt the Lord saying, there's somebody here at this conference, they're called Lucy, and they need to know that just as the audience delighted when Lucy came on stage, I delight every time I look at her. And I said, Lord, this is not a charismatic conference. Are you really, are you, are you really saying that at the start I have to stand up and say, I've got a word for the, from the Lord for somebody called Lucy? And he said, yes. And I said, all right, I'll do it. And then as I was lying there in the bed, feeling a bit nervous, the anxiety increased because he said, Captain Kirk. <laughs> and, and I thought, Captain Kirk? He said, yes. He said, there's a young man going to be at this conference and his name is Kirk and he needs to boldly go where he's never gone before. <laughs> he's... he's I, I'm calling him into full-time youth work. And, and he gave me one or two other things. And so I went into the meeting and, um, and I was remembering John Wimber. I mean, not that I put myself in that category, but he was faced with doing something or not doing it. And God said, well, if, if, you, if you don't do it, you may as well get out. And John Wimber thought, out? Do you mean out the ministry? Do you mean out the kingdom, you know, do you mean, what do you mean out? So he didn't like the sound of being out, so he thought he better do it. <laughs> so I was remembering that, and I stood there, and I said, you know, I, and I hummed and hawed and went from foot to foot, and eventually said, I think, um, you know, before I begin, I think the, the Lord's got a couple of things to say, and at that point, 50% of the audience at least just folded their arms. You know? <laughs> and why have we invited him, you know? So I gave the word for Lucy and I gave the word for Captain Kirk and then I, I said, you know, I've not got enough faith. I've not got enough faith to ask Lucy or Kirk if you're here, but if, if you are, um, will you come and see me afterwards? So I know I'm not going off my chump. And first of all to come was Lucy. And um, she's a professional person. She's a lawyer. She was strikingly beautiful. I said, did that thought about God taking delight in you, did it, did it mean anything to you? And she, she just started to cry quite profusely. And you'll need to forgive the language for a moment. I said, why does that mean something to you? She said, the recurring sentence going through my mind for years now is, see you, you're an effing retard. I said, well, where did that come from? And we talked about that for a while. Then Captain Kirk came. I said, hello, I'm, I'm Kirk. And um, I've never seen anyone. He, he was quite a nervous individual. And 
what I'd said had made him ten times more nervous. <laughs> and, and I said, did, did that mean anything to you? And he said, he said, I came here thinking the Lord was calling me into full-time youth work. And I just asked if that was of him that he would confirm it. But I'm thinking about Lucy. We said that, you know, words that come from God have a powerful influence for good. But words that don't come from him have a powerful influence for evil purpose, for destructive purpose in our lives. And it says in the Bible that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And so often the way that the devil does that is by speaking words either through other people or directly from himself insinuating them into our thoughts that then we deeply believe and they go round and round and they become a sort of, they become a stronghold actually that needs to get taken down. It's a wonderful verse in in, uh, 1 John that says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. And the, the word literally means to untie. And, and sometimes one of the pictures I get before God wants to do this type of thing is that he'll show me just reaching my hand into what looks like a very dark hole. Uh, and, and then I draw my hand out and I've, I've got hold of a, a bit of the end of a piece of string. It, it doesn't matter how bad the knot is. If you can somehow get hold of the end of the string, you can untie the knot. Are there words going around you? Words that make it really, really difficult to hold on to the precious truth that you are the beloved of God, that he takes great joy in you, that he actually uh, delights in you uh, very, very much. I think it would be really good just to I'm going to pause there, not to pray for this time, but I, I just want to, you to turn to your neighbour and um, sh- this is what I want you to do. Don't get all anxious about it. It's okay. I just want to sh- share a time when a word from God got through to you. It might be the word of salvation when you first believed. It might be somebody shared a prophetic word. It might be something that you were reading in scripture, but you found, you know what? It didn't return void. It actually did something in my life. So just turn and share when a word from God actually got through to you and did something in your life. Let's just take a couple of minutes to do that with one another.
white folks, okay? I don't, I don't believe you're all talking about that. I'm, I'm, I believe you're talking about what you're watching on the telly tonight or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I could have asked you to turn and share when did a negative word take root? That, that wouldn't have felt so nice doing that. But I want, I want you to think of that for yourself. When did a negative word take root? A word that didn't come from God, that didn't strengthen you or encourage you and comfort you. Because according to the Bible, that's the test for whether a word comes from God. So if it didn't do these things, it wasn't from God, even if it was true. God never meant it to come to you. And we'll come back to that in the next talk when we think about how we speak to one another. But uh, positive and negative effect of words, and these can take root in our soul, in our mind, and in our emotions, but they can also have influence on uh, our, our bodies. Um, I, I've been using for this last year, because I, I confess I, my faith sort of melts before some situations. I don't know about yours. You know, we're, we're a church that believes in healing, and we do see some healing. But sometimes, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, I, I was at a meeting not terribly long ago where um, the, the, the leaders of the meeting whom I know were talking about a prophetic word they'd received years ago from a, a, a prophet from America that knew nothing about them, called them to their feet and gave them this very accurate prophetic word. And they, they've a, a daughter who's severely unwell. And the final part of the word was, um, your daughter will be healed. The daughter wasn't there, but the prophet picked this up that there was something wrong and this was the promise. Well, this couple were speaking about this in a meeting not long ago and their daughter was there. And I looked at her and I felt God asking me, do you believe that I can heal her? And, and, and I knew this was the truthful answer because it wasn't the answer I wanted to give. I said to the Lord, if you mean do I believe you can heal her right now, here in front of my eyes, no. I just don't believe you can do it. And I, I was shocked. You know, you don't, you don't like sometimes to discover what's there. And I just felt, no, I, d I don't think I believe that. Right now, that you could do this. Because I looked at the extreme disability, physically and mentally. And I thought, no, Lord, if I'm, you know all things. And I feel this is the honest answer in my heart. I don't think you can do it. And when I realized that, I, you know, I've started to use a, a, a daily devotional book by Smith Wigglesworth because he had no problem. He had no problem believing anything, you know. Let me give you a couple of examples, and it's about the power of believing a word from God. Uh, or in fact, just because of time, I'll just give you one. He says this, I was taken to a, a, a beautiful nine-year-old boy who was lying in a bed. The mother and father were distraught because he'd been lying there for months. They had to lift him and feed him. He was like a statue with flashing eyes. As soon as I entered the place, the Lord revealed to me the cause of the trouble. So I said to the mother, the Lord shows me there's something wrong with his stomach. She said, oh no, we've had two physicians here and they say it's paralysis of his mind. I said, God reveals to me it's his stomach. Oh no, it isn't. The physicians ought to know, they've x-rayed him. The gentleman who brought me there said to the mother, you have sent for this man. You've been the means of his coming, now don't stand against him. This man knows what he has to do. 
But Dr. Jesus knows more than that. He knows everything. All you have to do is call in Jesus and he will come. Divine things are so much better than human things. Who will interfere with the divine mind of the spirit that is all revelation that understands the whole condition of life? The word of God declares he knows all things and is well acquainted with the manifestation of our bodies for everything is naked and open before him with whom we must have to do. Having the mind of the spirit, we understand what the will of God is. I prayed over the sick boy and laid my hands on his stomach. He became sick, vomited a worm 13 inches long and was perfectly restored. We need to believe God when he speaks. We need to believe it when he speaks to us about the fact that we're loved and lovely in his eyes. We need to believe it when he speaks a word in relation to our physical well-being. And I just wonder, are you allowing that inner revelation of the love God has for you, is, is, is it being stolen? You need to listen and listen and listen to what God says and believe it. Or are you allowing Satan to tie you up in knots through other words? I just want to speak because time is limited. You know, how do we, how do we hear these words, these words that are, are spirit and, and life and, and can bring life to our, our minds and our emotions and our thinking and indeed to our very bodies? Let me give you a few practical um, tips. Uh, number one, I, I think it's really interesting that I heard these names clearly and these words clearly when I was in a place of rest. I don't usually hear that clearly um, because I'm usually too busy. And I, I, I'm just asking you, have, have you got a genuine place of rest where you can listen to God? And, and if you've not, well, how, how can you receive these life-giving words that can bring well-being to your mind and your emotions and even your very body? We, we need to create that space where we're at rest enough to hear. I mean, I confess that usually I've got a, a thousand and one things going on in my mind, and it's, it's really difficult to hear from God when your mind's full of other thoughts. It's really difficult to hear when you're just tired. I think it's really significant that after three baths <laughs> and, and three sleeps, I heard God clearly. So number one, is there a place for that for you? Is there a place where you can just listen? Is there rest enough just to, to listen to God? Now, don't, don't feel all guilty about that. Don't, please don't feel guilty about that. I said at the beginning, I don't want to put uh, pressures on you, but I, I think this is God saying it. This is for your own good, you know? If, if you've not got that space to rest and to listen, you need to find it for your own blessing and for your own well-being. It doesn't need to be a long time. You know, sometimes I think we're, we're put off because we read stories of saints who listen to God for three hours a day type of thing. And Martin Luther, I mean, this really killed me at one time. Martin Luther saying, when I have a busy day, I pray for three hours a day. You know, when I have a very busy day, I pray for four hours a day. You know, and that just about killed me. I thought, there's no way I can do that. 
And then I found, I found what a Pentecostal pastor said to me, extremely helpful. He said, when I, when I wake up in the morning, he said, I just lie there in the bed for 10 minutes being happy in God. Just being happy in God. Just reminding myself, you know, that he loves me, that he's with me, that I'm his child. And in that place you hear. But I'm encouraging you to make it a, a regular thing. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50. This is um, Jesus uh, speaking here. There's four servant songs in Isaiah. And they're all Jesus taking us into the innerness of his own relationship with the Father and his own calling as the servant of the Lord. And uh, this is the third of them, Isaiah chapter 50. This is Jesus speaking in verse 4. He says this, The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom, so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Let's just pause there. Jesus is saying, That's, this is my practice. Morning by morning, the Father opens my mind to understand his will. I hear the words that are going to sustain the weary that day. How did Jesus know what he knew about the woman at the well in John 4? Because it was his practice morning by morning to waken up and to listen for words that he would need that day in order to sustain himself in his weariness or in order to sustain other people in, his weariness, in their weariness. So it was Jesus' practice. So number one, have you got a place? And if not, try and, try and make space and try and make place. Um, the second thing, uh, deal with distractions that are going to stop you from hearing. I suppose that goes back to the first talk. You, you'll not deal with distractions by trying to put things out of your mind. You, you need to have a sort of bit near the beginning of your time with God where you acknowledge what's worrying you and you bring it fully into his presence. Remember the girl who was self-harming, trying to leave it out of the presence of God, but finding psychologically she couldn't do that. We, we sometimes demand impossible things of ourselves in the name of Christ, our spiritual discipline. You can't leave things that are distressing you aside. You need to bring them to God and bring them into his presence. So do that quickly and do it near the start. Deal with the things that are distraction. And uh, I've found over the years, you know, there's, there's um, I think we're bad at trying to, to reinvent the wheel, as it were. You know, over the centuries, Christians have worked out spiritual disciplines that are helpful. And, and one of the things that I've found helpful that's a, a spiritual discipline that people have used for a long time is, is just palms up and palms down. You, you maybe know about it, but if I'm coming into the presence of God and I'm wanting to hear his life-giving words that are going to sustain me in the truth of his love or, or help others into the truth of his love, that this is how I deal with the distractions. I don't do it every time. It's not a set thing, but one thing that I find helpful when there's things going through my mind that I just can't get to be quiet so I can listen is, is first of all, palms down. I just say to the Lord, Lord, this is worrying me, and I, I release that into your presence. I just take my hands off that, and I just turn my, my hands down the way and, and say, 
So, Lord, palms down. I'm giving this to you. And I do that as often as I need to until I sense that my mind is in a a reasonable enough state of quietness. And then then I just say, now, Lord, I'm turning my palms up. What, What would you place in my hands today that's going to sustain me in my weariness? Or that's going to help me with some of the people I'm going to be meeting this day? So you don't need to do that, but it's a helpful thing. Palms down. Lord, I release this to you. Palms up. Lord, I think I'm quiet enough now for you to place into my hands things that will help me or will help others. So number one, find a place. Number two, uh, deal with distractions. Uh, Number three, deal with the negative stuff about yourself. I think there can be a fear about going into silence with God. Do you remember that Elijah had that fear? Now, he, he was one of the bravest men in the Bible. In 1 Kings 18, remember, there's a contest with the false prophets, and he stood single-handedly against hundreds of them. But then he finds himself fleeing before the wrath of Jezebel, and uh, he eventually comes to a cave. And sometimes we say that, you know, Elijah said, I want to die. And sometimes people preach about it. The reason he wanted to die was he'd been so exhausted and he didn't take rest. That's not what the passage says. Elijah gives the reason for his depression. He says, God, I'm no better than my father's. Let me die. He really wanted to stand for God. And he was really disappointed that he'd run away from Jezebel. Uh, And he thinks, well, actually, I I really wanted to be a man of God. I really wanted to stand, and now I've blown it. And he finds himself at Mount Horeb. And he hears God speaking to him. Do you remember how he hears God speaking? In a still small voice is the normal translation. It's not a good translation. But the best translation is this. He heard God speak in the sound of total silence. That seems a paradox, but that's when God speaks. And the interesting thing is this. This was a man who wasn't afraid of earthquake, wind, or fire. And and there is an earthquake, and there's a hurricane, and there's a fire passes by as he's there at Mount Horeb. And the Lord's not in any of them. He realizes that God is in the total silence. But before he goes into that silence, do you remember what he does? He wraps his face up. He's afraid to go into the silence. Because he's absolutely sure that in that silence, God is going to confirm the negative verdict he'd already passed on himself. Yeah, you're right, Elijah, you have blown it. You are no better than your fathers. You are the weakest link, goodbye. But he didn't hear that. He heard words of affirmation of his call. He heard words about his successor. He heard words about God's purposes. Are you uncomfortable with the idea of being before God? Are you uncomfortable with the idea of being silent? Is that because you fear what Elijah feared? that in the silence, God might well just have a go at you. 
Isn't it good to know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? The Father will never, ever, ever speak a condemning word to you. Never. You don't need to be afraid of going into the silence. So number one, find a place. Number two, try and find some way of dealing with the distractions, whether it's palms down, palms up, or whatever. Uh, Number three, um, just watch out for the fears that develop. Are you staying away from God? I've talked to two Christians lately who are afraid to pray because they're, they're sure that God is going to say something negative to them. They actually find themselves taking a, a, a sort of 10 feet berth as they come near to their Bible because they're afraid if they open it up, it will condemn them. God's not going to condemn you. You don't need to be afraid of silence. Uh, number four, just as a step for hearing God, um, use scripture. And um, there's a, a famous um, preacher in Scotland called Alexander White, and he says this. With your imagination anointed with holy oil, you open your New Testament. At one time you are the publican, at another time you're Mary Magdalene, at another time Peter in the porch, till your whole New Testament is all over autobiographic of you. So use scripture, but not just in terms of feeding your mind with doctrine. Imagine your way into the verse. Imagine your way into the story. And as you imagine yourself in that verse or in that story, what is the word of the Lord to you? You know, so much of what we carry about, um, of lack of well-being in our minds, and so much of what we carry about, lack of well-being in our bodies, comes from not hearing the right words, but from trusting fully and believing fully in the wrong words. And somehow we need to do something about this. Um, my, my wife sort of discovered this principle. She had very, very sore feet um, a few years ago and nothing seemed to fix them and prayer didn't seem to fix them. And then, then she found this. She found that actually when she thought about it, she was saying extremely negative things about her feet. You know, even if it was just an expression of frustration, <sighs> You know, but usually it was more than that. She was thinking bad things towards her feet. So she decided she was going to bless her feet. And every day she looked at her feet and she would sort of, you know, touch them. And she would say, you are really beautiful. (laughs) And she would say good things over her feet. And you know what? Her feet totally recovered. No medical treatment had worked. No physiotherapy. But speaking good things over our body worked. How many of you speak bad things over your body? How many of you looked in the mirror today and went, oh. <laughs> I, was, I was in Denmark doing a conference and they, they had a, 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 an outing where they went round all the churches in the town and they just sat in the churches and listened for God. And at night I was speaking to the young adults and these two beautiful young women came up to me and uh, they came up at separate, separate intervals and gave me exactly the same word. They said when we were sitting in the church, they said this individually, you know, at, at different points after the meeting was over. 
Uh, God came and gave me a word for you. And the word is this, um, he really loves your body. I resisted all temptation and to ask them, what about you? Do you, you know, what, what do you think about it? And, but that's what they said, God really loves your body. And then they said this, he, he really loves your body as a 52 year old. And I, I'm beginning to that, get to that stage where actually, you know what, my joints don't just do what I want them to do. I can't quite swing the golf club as far back as I used to be able to do, or turn as far as I did. Though I got a hole in one on Friday. That was a good day. That was a good day. And uh, unfortunately, there was nobody there to see it. But as a Scotsman, there's blessing because it meant I didn't have to buy anyone a drink, so it's, it was okay. But it worked for good as well. But, but you know, it, it is possible as we get older that we, we start speaking words of frustration over our bodies and remember our words of power. So not only what words are you hearing for yourself, but what words are you speaking? What words are you speaking about you as a person? What words are you speaking over your body? So I suppose I'm just encouraging you to take time uh, to listen to God. Jesus did it. And your health and well-being might depend on it. And so might the health and well-being of others around you. I'll close with this story. Um, I'm not Smith Wigglesworth, but I'm trying to learn. And uh, I was praying for somebody along with my wife, and we prayed for what they said they wanted prayer for. And then I just felt I had to say to her, um, I, th I think there's something wrong uh, down here, and sort of over our stomach type of area. I said, will you... Um, Will you go and get that checked out when you go home? And she promised she would. And um, she went home and she said to the doctor, I'm feeling fine, but actually, could I just ask you to do a few checks? And he did. And she had pancreatic cancer. And she was operated on immediately and her life was saved. Now, if I'd been Wigglesworth, I would have thumped her in the stomach <laughs> and said, come out of her, you know, you unclean devil or something. Well, I'm not Wigglesworth. And that's all of the faith to say. But at least their life was saved. You know, hearing from God matters. It matters for undoing all the lies that we live out. But it also might affect the health of your very body. <coughs> Do you believe right now that God would speak to you and say, I really love your body. I, I love it. I love your body as a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 90-year-old. I love your body. Is it time to speak good things over your soul? Is it time to speak good things over your body? Let's take a couple of minutes just to pray. Just... Um, in fact, I'm not going to pray. Just, just take a couple of minutes. Have, have, you, have you believed a lie about yourself? Just a negative thing that you've carried in your, your soul for years that actually makes it difficult to hold on to the truth that God might just love you and adore you 
and be proud of you. What's the lie that you've believed? What is it that keeps your head and shoulders bowed? What's the weight of words that you carry? Perhaps spoken by a parent, perhaps by a teacher, perhaps by a a sibling, perhaps by a friend. Perhaps just by personality and insecurity spoken by you to you. What, What is the weight of words that you carry? be good just to shuffle them off, wouldn't it? Just put them aside. Sometimes we can, sometimes it's not that easy. Lord, I just pray, Son of God, would you untie the works and words of the evil one? The works of him who's a liar, been a liar from the beginning. And what about, have you spoken anything over your body that perhaps was not a good thing to say over your body because our words are real things. They're not just sounds. Lord, would you bless our bodies even this day? And would you teach us to bless our bodies day by day? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.